Hi, I'm Gay Moseri, and I am from Freedom, New Hampshire, and I go to Nativity Lutheran Church in North Conway. You are listening to Two Bald Pastors <laughs> Podcast, connecting real faith with real life, and I promise you, it's a lot of fun to boot. Enjoy. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two Bald Pastors. Welcome to Two Bald Pastors, a podcast about real faith and real life. I'm Jeff Sinabaldo. And I'm Joe McGarry. And we are two follically challenged pastors serving in congregations of the New England Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, or as we like to call it, the ELCA. How are you today, Joe? I am doing great, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, both of us are just finishing up uh, weeks of having camp in our building. We had a vacation Bible school week, and you had a food camp, right? Yes, we did. How did your VBS go? Oh, it was really fun. We had uh, close to 40 kids, and most of them were not our kids, and um, that was really fantastic. By doing it so close to when school got out, it seemed like there were more people around this year, just in general. So that was good energy, really young ones, so that was kind of fun, too. And uh, we do the thing with a puppet, so the puppet's always a hit. It was Snappy the Crab, so that was uh, That's awesome. a, a big hit. How about you? How was cooking camp? It was great. We maxed out. Uh, we limited it to 20 kids. We actually had 23. So we nice. we had only a few from the church, which was great. But a lot of my kids' friends came, and it was just a blast. It was probably one of my favorite camps that I have done. Part of the day was cooking. Part of the day was uh, nutrition education. Part of the day was rec. And so we focused on a food group each day. So fruits, dairy, grains, protein. And then Friday, we had kind of the own chopped competition. So oh, we broke fun. the kids into four different groups. They had five or six kids on the team. They had a kind of a mentor, you know, adult working with them. And then we gave them mystery baskets and they had to have their own creation. And then kind of as an extra motivation, they went and cooked against me. And my ingredients included sauerkraut, um, <laughs> macaroni and cheese, bacon, potato chips, corn, ground beef. And so I created a meatloaf and a sauerkraut corn apple puree. And then I had quinoa. So we had a, a limited pantry as well that they can use ingredients. So, But the creativity and the kids working together, we had ages 9 to 13. It was just really phenomenal. And the kids learned a lot. The parents enjoyed it. So be a month from now, we're going to do uh, film and food night. So we're going to watch Ratatouille and cook Ratatouille. So hopefully a lot of those kids will come back and nice. still learn a little bit more and have some fun cooking. So yeah, it was it was a really great week. Yeah, awesome. That's really fun. Well, uh, one of the things we want to do today on the program is uh, follow up on our conversation with Angel and talk a little bit more about uh, the tragedy in Orlando. But uh, before we do that, I think we have a just wide-sweeping topic that you and I have been talking about, and that is the difference between uh, trying to be prophetic or trying to be a hero. And as we both kind of cope with our own sense of uh, privilege, especially white privilege in the church and in society, I think both of us want to just kind of uh, try to think out loud on that a little bit. Does that sound right? It does, and there was a couple of things from On Hill's conversation that we had with him that really kind of stuck out to us, and which really led to this conversation. And and as I was listening to it again, 
one of the things that really stood out to me is something that he said uh, on Hill and which then tied into another quote, which I think you were going to share. If we yeah. stay complicit, our hands, our vestments, our pulpits are stained with the blood of martyrs. And that just really touched me and made me think, okay, what am I doing to really improve the world and help improve the lives of the LGBTQ community, uh, which Anhill is a part of. And it was really impactful for me to think about, okay, I know that I could be doing more and what does that look like and how can I really help stand against the violence that's happening in our world today? And I think not even just to uh, protest it, but to actually want to lead somewhere. Right. And, and right. think about what change could really look like and how do we get there and what are the steps that are needed and what conversations need to take place and action items too, of course. But I think sometimes we end up either uh, shaking our fist at the world or we're just in anger or we're just so deep in, in sorrow and lament. We don't actually do anything or we don't go anywhere or we become, like you say, complicit, uh, to use Angel's words, where it's very easy just to move on to the next item in the news cycle um, and just not really deal with it either. You know, all, all three of those things are kind of problematic. And um, we, we do live in a fast-paced world and we do have a lot going on, but um, some things are worth spending our time and energy on. And uh, especially valuing human life and human experience and human pain and uh, meeting it there with the cross and our faith in Christ is uh, what we're about. So yeah, I'm going to start with the quote. And then I thought what we do, since it's both a favorite story of ours, is why don't we put it in the context of the Good Samaritan parable? Um, Because then we've got something tangible to talk about. It's not just going to be ideas. It'll be something a little bit more concrete. So uh, I want to start with a quote from a friend of mine, uh, Tim Crick. He's a pastor as well, and he serves uh, Christ the King Lutheran Church in Combined Locks, Wisconsin, which is just outside of Appleton. He just kind of started a blog for himself called theintentionalproject.com. But one of the things he wrote was this, and I just want to share it. I want to be someone who stops bad things from happening in the world, but I want to be more than that. Heroes stop bad things from happening. Prophets are people who call out systems that allow those horrific things to continually happen. What I want to be is someone who stops the obvious things from even happening in the first place because the hard work was done to stop that kind of culture from continuing to proliferate. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty outstanding perspective. How about you, Joe? I really think so. And I think leading into kind of just breaking that down a little bit, the conversation that we can have about what does it mean to be a hero and what does it mean to be a prophet. So, you know, you want to take a first stab at it. What do you think it means to be a hero? When I think of a hero, it's hard not to think of a superhero, you right. know, with, with a cape and tights and, and superpowers. So, um, you know, when I think of like comic book superheroes, what I think about is someone who kind of swoops in, fixes a problem, everything's great, and swoops out at the end. Yep. Uh, when I think of a prophet, I think of someone, they have more at stake, it seems. They're kind of embedded in the community already. They're looking at the long term. It's not just a quick fix. Um, they're thinking about kind of the systems of things. You know, So why are the conditions what they are? Why is there injustice? Why is there inequity? 
why do certain things just seem to always happen to the same folks without trying to uh, castigate them in some way, but just say there's there's something broken in the way this interaction is happening and it's it's causing some of the problems to continue and perpetuate. And so what I would say a prophet does is is name those things. Certainly with a call to action. Um, if we think about the biblical prophets, I think about people that do it in the name of God. You know, they always start their speeches, thus says the Lord. Right. But even in a, a more secular, modern way, you think of people that are prophetic. I think that's what they're doing, is they're calling out the systems for what they are, uh, kind of naming the problem. I mean, again, to go back to our conversation on Scripture, the law-gospel piece, it's the law in your face, in a way. It's, it's calling, calling something not the way God intended it to be. But yet, that's the way it is. And rather than just accepting the way it is, kind of painting a picture of what it, what it could look like differently. How about you? What do you think about the difference between a hero and a prophet? Yeah, the hero sometimes is in the right place at the right time. So when you go back to your analogy to the superhero, you know, Superman or Batman, they, they have this sense or they know when a wrong is happening, when someone's life is at stake, they swoop in and they, they fix it and then they swoop back out, like you said. A prophet, there's a calling that comes to, to be a prophet as well. So when you think about biblical prophets... You know, you think about Moses, you think about Jesus, you think about Elijah, you see that God is coming into their lives and God is saying, this is what I need you to do. And sometimes the prophet doesn't think that they are able to do it. They don't think they have the gifts, the skills, or the talents to follow through on this calling from God. But something larger than them, God, the, the Holy Spirit, has come into their life and God is enabling them to do the work that God wants them to do. So when you think about the, the work that you are called to do, God is there to help and support you, and it is a longer-term type thing. And, and a hero comes in, and a hero might not speak very much. They go through action. They, they do their work through action. And a prophet does a lot of speaking. A, a prophet does speak out and give a voice to the voiceless. And sometimes that voice is not a popular voice, not one that everybody wants to hear. A, a prophet is not necessarily celebrated, but when you look at biblical prophets and even modern-day prophets, a lot of times the prophet is killed for their prophetic voice. Yeah, I was having another conversation with a mutual friend, and you're saying, well, but, but I want to be a hero. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, cer certainly there's a lot more glamour in being a hero than a prophet. There uh, is. Absolutely. It seems like we need more prophets and less heroes. Uh, not that we don't need someone to come and fix our problems, because we have a lot of them. But I think for a longer-lasting effect, it takes longer-lasting work to make it happen. You know, otherwise Lex Luthor comes back next week, or the Joker, or the Riddler, or the Green Goblin, or somebody. Well, in our line of work, those characters often look like the devil, right? Yeah, and then you wonder sometimes if they're personified. You know, it's there's more of a lurking uh, evil in the system that you can't pinpoint to a single person, but but you know is there. Right. Um, and evil certainly has that sense to it. Well, let's look at uh, the Good Samaritan story since uh, it's a favorite. So it's found in Luke chapter 10 if you... Uh, are following along at home and want to read it. The setup is a lawyer asks Jesus kind of what he needs to do. And 
Jesus tells him this story that there was a guy walking on the side of the road. Uh, he's struck down by bandits who beat him up and take all his stuff, and he's left there half dead. People walk by him. They don't help him. So first you have a, a priest, a clergy person, who you think would help, right? But nope, they're too busy. They, they move along. And then you have a Levite who's also in kind of a, a class system, and he's, he doesn't stop either. But uh, the person that does stop is a Samaritan, which in that culture would have been someone that you thought was not a person of great value. But this is the person who stops, who helps the person, puts him on his own animal, takes him to a place where he can get well, pays his bill, and kind of does it in a selfless way. So you and I were talking a little bit yesterday about, well, isn't that kind of heroic? And maybe what's the difference in this particular story about what it means to be prophetic and what it means to be a hero. So would you like to take a little stab at that? Sure. So the person who is walking towards Jericho, he is minding his own business. He is attacked, and there's this road that is a dangerous road. People know that it's a dangerous road. So the hero, as the Good Samaritan, comes in, and he helps the person who is half dead. So he he pays for his medical bills. He gets him to safety. He ensures that this person is going to be made well, and then he leaves. So we don't know from the story what happens right. after he leaves. If he just goes on his way, if he you know, continues to pray about the person, if he acts for, for change, we, we don't know that. But the act itself of helping the person, getting the person to safety, and making the person well again could be seen as a heroic type action. It ends with go and do likewise, right? So, right? so be the good Samaritan. He's a role model. He's a hero. He's, He's a good guy. Right. He's the one that's least likely, which often superheroes are. At the same time, it kind of puts it in that light. So how about the prophetic there? I mean, I kind of struggled with this a little bit. I kind of thought Jesus was being more the prophetic person in this story as the narrator than actually the good Samaritan was. Sure. Why don't you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so you know, so Jesus he's challenging first the the legalese of the lawyer because the lawyer wants to know what he's responsible for, what he's not. Oh, there's a system that's at stake. Um, so Jesus is going to challenge that system by telling this story, and he he outlines the dangerous place, which which does identify a real issue, right? So, like you said, everybody knows that this is a dangerous road. So why is it a dangerous road? Why is it not safer? Uh, what are the conditions that have gone into perpetuating that dangerous spot? Um, is it the way that it's, there's secluded areas? Is it not well lit? Is it not well policed? Uh, is it in a bad neighborhood? And so, you know, is it because people you don't like travel on it? So, you know, they, it doesn't seem worth it to the authorities to uh, bother. You know, you think of all the things like in some of our cities, like I'm from the Chicago area. So, you know, there are neighborhoods in Chicago that are just terrible and continue to be because no one actually wants to do anything about it. And everybody just kind of accepts it as that's the way it is. So, so Jesus is kind of painting that picture of where this is and kind of the conditions of it. And he's also challenging, I think, just kind of what the norms are. So if you have someone that's, you would expect the clergy person or the, the Levite to be able to, one, have the opportunity, but also have the mindset of being of wanting to help other people. And yet it just seems like they don't care. Right. They are complicit. 
uh, to use Angel's terms. We were we were kind of goofing around yesterday talking about this. You know, maybe they're on a meeting to talk about this road. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. But even still, I mean, I think about that too. We we have a lot of times where we want to do good, or we even think we're doing good, but we neglect to actually do it. You know, we talk about it, or we throw money at it, or we join an organization uh, or something. But do we actually stop, get our hands dirty, right? people where they are? There's, there's a lot of talk that can happen, and there's a lot of good ideas that can happen. But I think maybe a difference between a hero and a prophet is a, is a hero does the action when it's least expected, but a prophet, not only do they talk about it, but there is the action as well. Like we said, who, who knows what happened to the Good Samaritan afterwards? He could have gone on to do great things to make that road a better place, or he could have gone on to reach out to the Levite or the priest that, that passed by. Maybe he saw that happen. We, we don't know, you know, those type of details. And, and a lot of those details, in, in some sense, don't really matter to, right. to the point of right. Jesus's story. But as we kind of play this out a little bit and think about the difference between a hero and a prophet— what could have the Good Samaritan had done afterwards to really be more of, of a prophetic voice in the relationship between uh, the Samaritans and, and other people? Yeah, to me, I think the greatest shock of the whole story is the fact that the, the hero is the Samaritan. This is such a familiar story to people, um, even in a secular way, that if you said Good Samaritan, a lot of people would know that what that means, that it, right. oh, it's a helper. I mean, it would be like saying saying somebody from ISIS was the one that was the helper. I mean, it's that shocking of a thing. I mean, yep. it's just like, what? You would not expect that at all. Right. Um, you would expect worse. You know, this person would come to finish him off. But no, this is the person who gets it. And I mean, think of the because the story is told in the context of the lawyer. The lawyer wants to know what's the right thing to do and what he's responsible for or not. And yet it's the most unlikely person that makes the real difference. And so I would say that's where Jesus is being the most prophetic here, is to say that the voice you don't listen to, the voice you don't care about, the voice you think is worthless and discard, that's the voice that can bring real change. So yeah, it's such a common story, but man, there's so much depth to it. I love the quote by Angel, complicity leads to the blood of the martyrs. That's just, uh, I mean, that's prophetic. Definitely prophetic, and that is something that we need to take to heart when we think about this, and we think about kind of our actions, and the question that Jesus poses at the end of uh, the parable, who do you think is the neighbor? Right. And I think that is something that we can ask ourselves and ask each other, who is our neighbor in the world, and how are we relating to or treating our neighbor, kind of moving in towards maybe our conversation with Onhill a little bit about our neighbor and some of the things that we learned from him. Yeah, so who is our neighbor? For a long time, centuries, decades, uh, most of our lives, you know, people would look at, at LGBTQ people and look at them with scorn or with, you know, discard them or, or yell at them or tell them what bad people they are. Um, and Angel even reflected in his own experience how that has happened to him. Voices of, of real human beings that are valued in the sight of God who are our neighbor. And if we're not listening to them, we're complicit. And not only are we complicit, we're, we're dishonoring our God-given task to look at the image of God in each person. I mean, I, str I struggle with this in a, a real sense because it's, 
you know, some people will say, well, why are you calling attention to this one thing? You know, there's a lot of people that um, are, are mistreated. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they are. And one of the things that we have experienced as people who happen to be, by luck or chance, white, male, middle-aged, middle class. I mean, we've got the world is set up for us to succeed. And it's easy to not just believe that everyone else has that same opportunity. And maybe they just didn't take advantage of it the right way. Uh, it, it's very easy to do. And I know I've done it. It's, it's not what other people experience. I mean, other people experience real roadblocks. Um, some by particular individuals who make their life a living hell, but also by just systems that won't allow for it. And then you, you start to say, well, why are those systems set up that way? Or why is that the outcome that's being produced? And then that gives you an opportunity to find that prophetic voice. And I think Anhill really showed us his prophetic voice uh, in the things that he said and just the impact that he had on you and I after that conversation to really continue to think about our privilege and to think about, okay, so the shooting that happened in Orlando on June 12th is one of the deadliest shootings in, in modern-day history of the United States, and it was spe specifically targeted a certain group of people, and you're not necessarily going to have uh, a club or... A group of people who are targeted, who are, you know, white males who are Christian in this country, and so that's why we need to really dig down deep and think about, okay, who who are we? What is our identity, and what are we doing to have the same type of prophetic voice in this world to really think about and pray? Okay, who are we, and and how are we going to? stand up against this kind of violence in our country. Yeah, and I think, again, our tendency is to go to the heroic piece, right? So we want to do something right away. We want to solve this problem. So how would we do it? You immediately have people screaming for, you know, better gun protection laws, and you have, at the same time, people screaming against uh, immigration, that you know, or mental health issues, or, or any of those typical partisan perspectives on, well, this is the real problem, and if we just legislated this then it would be solved. I mean, you and I both know it's not that easy. I mean, as much as it would be great to have all those things. I mean, I would, I would love to say, yes, we're going to do something as a country. Uh, we're going to do what we can to prevent the next tragedy like this from happening by passing better laws, by trying to figure out mental health in this country, by trying to figure out an immigration system that not only works but is actually welcoming of new people. Right. And, and affirming to their experience rather than uh, vilifying them. But you know that the real prophetic work comes in asking that question, who is my neighbor, and actually doing some work to get to know who these neighbors are. You know, who is my neighbor that is LGBTQ that I just ignore? Who is my neighbor that comes from another country and speaks another language and is, is trying to just, they came here for a better life and they're not finding it and it's frustrating. So what does that mean? There's a whole host of things <laughs> that could go around that conversation. Uh, what does it mean just to live in a country that um, seems to be dividing further between 
you know, people that are just so xenophobic about anything different or, or new or uh, people that don't have European last names. What does that mean? And how do we address that when so many of our ancestors were people that were 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 poor and mis misfits in their own countries. You know, th there were immigrants too. They came here looking for a better life. They didn't speak the language. Uh, my great grandparents came and were illiterate uh, and only spoke Italian. I mean, that's today they would be, you know, vilified for that completely. And I'm not saying that it was roses for them either, but they became accepted. And not only what does it mean in kind of our world, but what does it mean in the church? You yeah. know, as as we talk about being prophetic and addressing some of these issues that we are dealing with on a day to day basis, what does it mean in the church, as as church people, you know, connecting our faith with our life? That our life is a life that is that, that where we are coming face to face every single day with these issues. That as Onhill said, you know, you hear about another shooting on the news, and you're like, okay, that happened again, because it seems like it happens almost every weekend and you become numb to it. But we shouldn't become numb to it. We shouldn't say, oh, well, it's another shooting in our country. We'll, we'll say a prayer for them, but what else can we do? As prophetic people of the church, of, of the people of God, there are things that we can do, and it's not just going on social media and saying this is what should happen. We should, like you said, get to know some of the people that are experiencing these injustices in our world, whether it's LGBTQ people, whether it's people of color, whether it's people of other faiths or immigrants or even uh, young people or, or women, you know, whatever is happening, whoever is experiencing these injustices in our, in our world and say, as the church, what are we doing or what can we do to be prophetic in this world, and what does it mean, and what does it look like to be prophetic, to really look at the issues and then make lasting, impactful change, not just swooping in and making the change for one individual or one situation, but looking more broadly and saying, okay, there are things that we can do to make long-term, lasting change, and what does that look like, and what are the ways that we can do that, or what are the ways that we can help people move forward? Yeah, I think another thing just to to do here is um, it's not just who is my neighbor, but where's Jesus, right? Right. So, I mean, we we so often categorize people as thus us and them. So you know, we we're the good guys, and then there's bad guys, or we're the we're the ones that are on the inside, and then there's these outsiders. Um, and we do that just as much with who's here on Sunday morning as we do in racial terms or economic terms or sexuality terms or you name it. But one of the things I think Jesus points out to us, especially if you really spend a little time just working with Matthew 25, you know, I'm when you fed me, when you visited me, when you clothed me. That's where I am, and and then you know, well, when was that? And the, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. If we could really, I think, just if we started to look for Jesus in every other person that we encountered, or we when we met somebody, we took it as seriously as Jesus is here. I think that could change a lot. That could change a lot. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect about it. I'm not going to say there's not going to be times where we, we think we're busy and want to just drive on by. If if we took seriously Christ's call to to see him in the neighbor, 
or that really there's only two people in the world. There's, there's ourselves and then there's Jesus. I think we could, we could really offer so much uh, to other people as people of faith, and not just people that are nice or, or, or do-gooders or trying to be heroic or trying to be prophetic, but as people that genuinely are caring for God's creation as if God himself and in, in Jesus is standing right there with us. If we could do that, that would be powerful. I agree 100% on that. I think the challenge is getting to a mindset where that can happen. So let's maybe break that down a little bit and talk about some of the ways that we think that could really happen in, in, a, in a practical way to help see people in, in a new light. So what is one way that you think that we can start moving in that direction where we can see Christ in our neighbor, see Jesus acting in the world around us? Well, one one simple thing is I think we just need to make room for it. I am overbooked. I mean, I, I just run my life that way, and I know I shouldn't. But I just, you know, I'm always running to the next thing. And like the priest or the Levite in the Good Samaritan story, I, I totally get where they're coming from. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Well, well, I had a meeting the other day, and I met a colleague for coffee. And uh, it was a beautiful day, and we sat outside. And, and while we were sitting there talking about something pretty intent, intently, a stranger walked up to us and had lost their dog and started talking to us about that. And my initial reaction is, can't you see we're talking? But then I said, no, I'm not going to do this. I listened to this person. I thought they were going to ask for money, which I had my hand in my pocket already to go uh, if that was it. But no, they were just looking for their dog and was very sad about it and wanted to share a picture with us. And we did that and listened. And I took this person's name and, um, you know, told him a number. He gave me his number, too. I said, OK, you know, if I see the dog, I'll let you know. And he was thankful and walked off. And my colleague just turned and looked at me and said, well, thanks, Jesus, for showing up and showing us what's really important. Yeah, yeah. Um, because there was space there for that. I mean, really, I think that it comes down to that. We, we have to make space for it. We have to have a place in our thinking and time in our day to actually take notice of what's happening. Because if we just run around, that's all we'll be. I think it's that mindset of being present. So I, on my internship... I was running off to make some visits and I had kind of a time crunch. I had to make some of these visits, you know, go home, have dinner, come back for a meeting. I was running out of time and the sexton of the church came up to me and said, hey, I need to move some of these picnic tables. Do you have a couple of minutes to, to do this? And I said, sure. So I helped him move some of the picnic tables, you know, and then I just instead of sitting around and, and, and chatting or whatever, taking our time, we kind of kind of hurried on through it. And I I ran off, you know, thinking that this was some of an inconvenience for me. But, you know, the Sexton was a good guy and I wanted to help and, and that sort of thing. Uh, turns out later that a couple of minutes, maybe 10 minutes later, he had a massive heart attack and died. Mm. And, you know, some of the staff from the daycare center ran out. They tried CPR, couldn't revive them. And, like, it was just an instant thing. And I came back, and I was devastated. Yeah. Because I said I was too busy, too wrapped up in what I was doing to really kind of just appreciate the situation, to just take my time, have a conversation. You know, I wasn't 
mean or anything like that, but it just, yeah. I was really just felt rushed and felt like it was an inconvenience. And it was just, it, it just really crushed me. And it really kind of taught me to, to really just appreciate the moment. And, but it is easy to get wrapped up into things again. Like right now, it's just, I feel like I'm running from one thing to another and to take stock in your time and say, yes, I do have time for this. And I do have time to be present in this place right now in the moment of what I am doing and really appreciate that. Yeah. So that's, so that's one thing is making some time for it. I I think the other thing is to be intentional about not being complicit and, and to, to not be complicit. I mean, this, uh, just don't accept things for what they are. I mean, I think too often we, uh, especially in churches, we just, I hate to say go through the motions, but we do. We just kind of, you know, this is just what it is. You know, Sunday morning runs a particular way. Uh, committee meetings have a certain amount of lack of effort in them. And by that, I mean, you know, you can't expect a lot. You can't expect brain a lot of uh, change to come out of a committee meeting. Usually it's, you know, you got one or two tasks or it's, you know, you try to repackage something, but it's the same same thing. Or, or just saying, you know, this is who we want to have be a part of this community. And you do it in so many subtle ways that most of us probably don't even realize we're doing. Because, you know, so many of our churches are so homogeneous. <laughs> right, right. We, we've right. obviously communicated that we're the only ones that should come to them. So, I, I mean, I, th- I think we have to expect to not be so complicit in these things, to just say, look, we, we did this a particular way, and, and that was particular people deciding to do it that particular way at that particular time, and now we're the people here in this particular place at this particular time, and we need to make this decision, or we need to go about it this way, uh, rather than just accepting, well, that's just how it is. I was listening to a, another podcast, uh, the Cliff Ravenscraft show um, last week, and he was on with a, a friend of his, Ray Edwards, and they were talking about identity and in somewhat a relation to a Tony Robbins event and Tony Robbins teachings that, that Cliff was going to. One of the things that they said that really kind of touched me was that there are a lot of times in our life where we say, I should do this. I should do that. And those shoulds quite often get cast aside. Those shoulds become the bottom of our priority list. And maybe you're listening to this and you say, well, I should go to church more. I should read the Bible more. I should pray more. And you find yourself missing church because something comes up or you get too busy to read your Bible or pray and it just becomes a should in in your life. The things that we really do do, the things that become important to us, the things that are a priority to us, are the musts in our life. So what if we had our identity wrapped up in the musts, and we say, I must do this. I must go to church every week and make a difference in my life and the lives of other people because it is a life-changing experience. I must stand up for those who are experiencing injustice in the world because that is the right thing to do. And I need to talk with other people about what are the ways that we can change our lives and the change that we live our lives in order to stand up for people. So an ex- a practical example is I know that I should exercise more and eat better. That becomes a should. But 
if I think, well, I must do this. This is a have to because I want to live longer, because I want to be able to do more things in my life, because I want to live a healthier life. Then it becomes a priority, and you are a prime example of this in the way that you are changing your life and the way that you are living your life. Because at some point earlier this year, you said, I have to do this. I have to yep. eat this way, and I have to make a commitment to this in order to change my life. And you are seeing massive success in that. To put it another way, it's, um, it's being proactive rather than reactive. Yes. It's, it's and maybe this sounds like a negative phrase but it means but I mean it to be positive is you got to take control. You have to stop letting things happen to you and make them happen. And yeah, as far as my health was concerned, that was exactly it. It took 4 months, but I lost 50 pounds. And it was very much no I'm not eating that. And yes, I'm only eating that and logging what it was and uh meeting with a coach and and doing a program and and it became a, a must to use your term. Right. It was it was a non-negotiable. It was this is what it is. Um, but it, it took me out of my own complicity of just saying, "Well, I'd like to do it. <laughs> I should do it. Um, I can cut back a little bit, but without having a plan, I didn't know really how to do it. So it, it took some. It took a pause to just take control of it and be proactive. So really, I think those three things are uh, are pretty good." Um, just to recap them. So the first one is just to make some space. Second is to not be complicit. And three is to make something happen or or prioritize or or take control or whatever way you want to talk about that. And as far as the difference between trying to be the hero of your own story or trying to be prophetic is you're you're not just kind of swooping in and, and clicking your snapping your fingers and making it happen and it all goes away. It's about long-term systems. It's about relationships. It's about connecting in your community. It's, it's connecting with those who are close to you. It's, it's all those things. Um, to be a, a more prophetic voice by embedding yourself in the community long-term and thinking about what needs to change and why and how you can be a part of it. Yeah. And even if you're able to do one or two of those things, I think it's going to make a huge difference in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And, and it's not only... F- feeling like you're making a difference, but you're actually changing the lives of someone else so that people can feel safe, feel valued, feel loved. And when we do this in the spirit that God intends us to do it, it's to connect with God and the world around you on a deeper level. And I think that's what God wants for every single one of us, to be able to connect with God and to be able to impact and and live into and change the lives of the people around us. So... I want to thank you, Jeff, for having this conversation. I want to thank Anhil for uh, inspiring us to have this conversation. And I feel as though this is not the last time we're going to be talking about this kind of thing. I think that's true. I mean, loving God and loving your neighbor and loving yourself, all three of those things are uh, a big part of who we are. And uh, they seem to always come up. They do. They do. And it's, it's one of those things we like to talk about in the church, I guess. I think so. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of The Two Bald Pastors, where we help you connect your faith with your life. We want to encourage you to take some of the things that we talked about here today, to pray about them, and to implement them into your own life. And if you ever have a question about some of the things that we talk about, or you want to get into a conversation about it, or have us 
um, continue to help you or inspire you to make the appropriate changes, then please email us or leave us a comment uh, below on our website, twobaldpastors.com. You can also connect with us on Facebook, facebook.com backslash twobaldpastors, where we continue to work towards connecting our faith with our life. Once again, my name is Joe McGarry. And I'm Jeff Sinibaldo. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day. Bye now. They might not have hair, but they really do care about faith and life. Two bald pastors. I think that's right. Yeah. He's walking towards Jericho, right? The second one was to, uh, what was the second one? I think we only did two.